Hello and welcome to Mother Bodies, the podcast about health after birth and why it matters. I'm your host, Rosie Taylor. I'm a health journalist and I'm also a mum. In this series, I'm asking some brilliant, wise and witty guests to share their thoughts on how the politics of postnatal health affects us all and the big ideas which could change our lives for the better. Most importantly, we'll also be sharing our own stories of health and recovery after birth and our honest experiences of motherhood. That's because it's only by sharing our stories that we can empower each other to ensure we all know what to expect and to make sure we all get the care and support we need, both after birth and throughout motherhood. This is Mother Bodies. So today I'm speaking to Silka Thistlewood. Silka is a mum to two girls aged 10 and 6. She's the author of The Mother Loving Guide, which is an honest guide to coping with life with a newborn. And she's also the founder of Raise Up Mums, an online community and resource centre which provides well-being and resilience tools to mums who are really short on time. So, like all of us. I started our chat by asking Silka what inspired the idea for Raise Up Mums and she explained how it all began with her trying to find a way to cope with her own postnatal anxiety. It really started after um, having my second child when I kind of thought oh second time around I know what I'm expecting I'm going to do much better that wasn't the case so <laughs> it felt overwhelming again like almost immediately and trying to find some professional help um was the first time around I kind of muddled through and just let it get better on its own as time went on I thought no I'm going to find some help um got referred to some online CBT but it was everything was so lengthy even finding time for the sessions was impossible and I was sitting at the computer typing away talking to this therapist while I could hear her screaming upstairs while my husband was trying to put her to sleep which in itself is not you know conducive to calming the old anxiety (laughs) Um, and everything even they were suggesting even though I kept saying I do not have the time for this it was all very much you know take time away from the baby take time to relax but she was just attached to me about 20 hours of the day breastfeeding almost constantly so there just wasn't the time and I think what tipped me over the edge what made me eventually think well there has to be something more suitable than this was a friend kindly suggesting that to help my anxiety I should do some dry brushing before having a shower And I just remember laughing hysterically because I didn't even have time to have a shower, let alone like dry brush. And it just seemed so nonsensical to me. And I just thought, well, there has to be a different way. So I was doing lots of reading, lots of research into self-care and how to look after yourself and distilling out the bits that felt doable and felt helpful at the time. Um, And that's kind of how Raise Up Mums got started and how I set up the online community to share what was working for me and hoping that that would then help other mums as well. Brilliant. So what sort of strategies did you find? Because you said you're reading yourself help books and a lot of them have, you know, very valid advice in, but like you say, it's things like take time out, um, Mm -hmm. meditate in the morning. (laughs) Get your full eight hours of sleep. Yes, there's lots about (laughs) making sure you have a good night's sleep, which I find particularly cutting. Mm -hmm. Um, So how did you take that advice which is all very well meant but essentially useless if you've got a newborn baby (laughs) it's true how did you find a way of turning that into something that did work for you it sort of all came down to stripping everything back down to the basics so while I couldn't meditate I could while the baby was breastfeeding sort of bring myself like to be in the moment rather than letting my thoughts like gallop away with 
you know, we're late for this, you know, this is now not happening because she wasn't meant to feed now, like actually just being in the moment and um, just noticing like the little things, like the little, and it sounds really corny, but like, you know, the little eyelashes and her little fingers and all of that. And it doesn't always work. I'm not saying it was like an utterly blissful experience. (laughs) Sometimes you have days when nothing works, but sometimes that was helpful or just, you know, taking some more deep breaths, doing some stretches while I was breastfeeding, you know, even if it was just like rotating my ankles and like do it, just doing something that you feel like you are proactive, like you're not like a complete victim to your circumstances. You are able to do some things and just drinking enough water. You know, when I fill up my my daughter's water bottle in the morning, when she toddled off to school, I would fill mine up as well to sip during the day. So it's all like really basic things like that um and something I've learned since then which I wish I'd known more about now is um, self-compassion just sort of developing that positive internal monologue and just giving yourself pep talks rather than just tearing yourself down all the time about the things that you could be or should be doing better and I like the fact that you've been sort of multitasking while breastfeeding fitting your self-care and then when you're ultimately caring for somebody else because yes I mean, I suppose in a way that sort of goes against the definition of self-care, but also it is realistic. It's what you can do when a baby's attached to you. Exactly. Um, I certainly remember spending hours and hours leaning over my son's cot, patting him, hoping that he'd go to sleep. But I used to use that moment to stretch my back, which was quite nice. (laughs) So I I always felt like that was kind of cheating, but actually it's nice to know that that could actually count as self-care, taking a little bit of time to stretch in those moments. (laughs) Brilliant. And you mentioned that you've got two children, but that actually the second child was just as difficult, if not worse in a way Mm -hmm. than than when you had the first one. Can you explain what happened to you when you became a parent the second time around? What was it that that shocked you about it? I I guess part of it was sort of ignorance. I, because we have a four year age gap, I'd had some time to recover once she started sleeping a bit better. I sort of found bits that made myself cope better with being a mum and they were all things that then unfortunately when you add a second to the mix went away so it was regular exercise it was making myself really nice food and healthy food that I felt you know sustained me properly and I you know was completely sure that I could keep that up once baby was born and it just wasn't possible Um, and also people often people say you know the second baby just slots in and it does not (laughs) no one told the baby and I guess also because the age gap is slightly bigger I'd forgotten just how full-on the sort of first few months are Um, so that sort of shock of going back to square one was quite a tough one having said that I guess the newborn phase was fairly easy when they're very portable and you just strap them in the sling and they sleep and they feed and they sleep and they feed that felt quite doable what then got difficult was a little bit later on when more of a sort of structure appeared like when she needed to nap and when certain things had to happen and with my first I think I just molded my entire existence around her schedule and that's how I coped that's how I kept my anxiety at bay because I could just do everything in accordance to the schedule that was ever changing, which was, that's another, oh my gosh, forever changing schedules. Um, but that's when it then got, got more stressful because I, you know, I had a school run to do and I had, you know, she had activities that she had to go to my eldest that is. So that then got really tricky. And like, I think mental health wise, I probably fared a little bit worse the second time around. And because my eldest was old enough to sort of realize that I wasn't doing that well, you know, I was crying a lot that then became harder because I felt like I was, you know, traumatizing her for life. So that sort of prompted me to to seek more help the second time around, which I guess, you know, that's a, a positive. And when you sought that help, what sort of help did you receive? You did mention CBT, but did you get anything else? How helpful did you find the CBT? 
Um, CBT wasn't all that helpful, but I do wonder because it was all it was online and it wasn't over Zoom because Zoom wasn't that much of a thing pre-pandemic. I think now it probably would be online, but face to face, but it was all typed. Um, right. And I just didn't really like get a connection to the therapist. I don't know if they didn't have kids. I, I didn't really know anything about them. So I didn't find it particularly helpful, but possibly I wasn't in the best place to receive it either. I was just angry at the world. <laughs> So possibly not the best place. I did um, go to the GP. So I self-referred myself to the CBT and um, I did go and see my GP and took antidepressants for a year or so, I think, which did seem to take the edge off just the emotions. Didn't necessarily make anything easier, um, but I was just able to deal a little bit better and not fall apart quite so easily, just a little bit sturdier, I think. Um, So that was helpful. And to be fair, actually, the um, health visitors contacted me before I gave birth, even to my second, because they had sort of made a note on their system, I guess, that I'd struggled with feeling anxious after my first. And they contacted me before she even arrived. But at the time, I was quite you know, positive that I could do it, but they did keep checking in. But then once I'd been prescribed medication, they basically said, oh, okay, you're on medication now. That's it. You're off our, off our list. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Which is fine. You know, that's their, that's their system, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. But it is, it is difficult, isn't it? Because like you say, the antidepressants took the edge off the emotions that you were sort of presenting with. So you said you were crying a lot and that sort of thing. And it, it helped take that down. But I liked how you said it didn't actually solve the problem, which is that you had a, a four-year-old and a newborn baby and, and a huge amount of pressure. And it sounds like you were putting a lot of pressure on yourself to sort of keep up your four-year-old schedule, but also trying to work with a conflicting newborn schedule. Mm-hmm. And I just wonder, do you think that sort of antidepressants were really the right answer for you? Would you have benefited from a different kind of support? And I don't know what form that would have taken. But I know exactly what form it should have taken. <laughs> I think if I had lived in a commune with lots of other people, yeah, <laughs> lots of extra pairs of hands to help, I think that would have been the ideal situation, like just company and just like an extra pair of hands. Um, so I think in, in the sort of real life situation, it would have meant maybe a postnatal doula for a few hours, even just like twice a week for a couple of hours for someone to come in and just hold the baby and like talk to me and make me some tea <laughs> or, you know, yeah. something like that. I just needed actual hands-on support. And that's why I was feeling anxious I don't think I was actually depressed as such and were you alone a lot did you have friends or family or your husband around uh not so much friends and friends yes although no one in my sort of closer mum circle had a second kid at the same time as me (laughs) um I did make friends and I was very good at getting out the house and like going to baby groups and I found things to do and then once she was old enough to do that on a regular basis that did help um an awful lot um but family not really to help so there wasn't really ever anyone um bar a neighbor who a couple of times just pushed the pram around the park for a nap time so I could I dyed my hair once and I just remember feeling like on top of the world and like a new woman because I'd had time to dye my hair. <laughs> Amazing. And it is difficult, isn't it? Because friends can provide a lot of emotional support, I think. But and I have quite a few mum friends who, you know, I, I love and I'm hugely indebted to for their emotional support and late night WhatsApping and yeah. questions about feeding <laughs> and all of that sort of thing. But, you know, ultimately they all had their own responsibilities and I couldn't put my problems onto them. Um, and it's just having someone nearby who can say, oh, I'll just, I'll just take them for half an hour. So like you say, you can dye your hair and it's an incredible thing. And we had, 
a very kind neighbor who just sort of said, well, I'm just sitting in my house watching TV. So why don't I just sit in your house and watch TV and you go out? just for a walk and I just thought that's an incredible incredible <laughs> offer and she sort of thought I was a bit mad really but I was like this is the nicest thing anyone's ever done for oh, me <laughs> it is oh that's lovely what you say about needing a commune is so true isn't it you know we, we say we need a village to raise a child and yet there's all this pressure on us to basically do it alone or do it as a couple and then yeah do it in very small groups and actually mm-hmm. we sort of lost that idea that everybody pitches in did you say that your husband works away a lot? Um, and he worked in London at the time. So yeah, just commuting, sort of, you know, leaving at half seven, getting home at half seven, sort of 12 hours out of the house. Yeah. And that's a very long time when you're on your own with two mm-hmm. children. Yes. <laughs> and then you oh. get the text, like, oh, my train's 10 minutes late and it's the end of the world. Yeah. It's like the <laughs> worst thing ever. Oh, oh, I don't miss those dates. <laughs> oh, bless you. In the blurb to your book, The Mother Loving Guide, you talk about the transition to motherhood and how you found it unnecessarily hard. And I'm really interested in that word unnecessarily because I think it is hard. (laughs) But what is it, do you think, about your experience and also about all of our experiences probably that make it much harder than it needs to be? What Mm -hmm. would make it easier? I think the main thing for me would have been just for someone, for one person to say, oh, by the way, it's going to be really hard and that's fine. It's fine for it to be hard. Just one person to say that would have made everything so just my approach to it much different because I just had heard stories of friends and friends were sharing things about, you know, their motherhood experience. And as soon as I was pregnant, they were like, oh my gosh, it's the best thing ever. You know, enjoy the like baby cuddles and the baby bubble and all of that. And at no point did anyone ever say, and if it feels hard, that's also fine because it is really hard. Um, so I just thought I was doing it all wrong. I thought, well, I shouldn't be finding it this hard because no one else is. Um, and luckily, I think that's changing a lot. There is a lot, you know, your podcast included. There's a lot of things now that people can access where people are being more honest. Um, and that really was, was what was missing for me, for sure. And I, I actually like outright asked people. <laughs> And they just lied to my face, including like the you know, um, antenatal class teacher. As, as a group, we all sort of stood up and said, well, what is a day actually like with a newborn? Like, what do we do when we bring the baby home after the hospital? And she just laughed and she said, oh, you're going to put the car seat on the table, make a cup of tea and wonder what on earth you've done. Which was true, but also not helpful. <laughs> you know, we were asking for like specifics and we followed it up a few months later. And um, so you have a sort of follow up meeting. And then she said, oh, you wouldn't have been ready to hear the truth. And it's like, But we were asking. We were literally ready and primed to hear the truth. Um, so that was definitely unnecessary. I think just a, a heads up, which was the entire reason for writing the book and I'm still really cross about it as you can tell so even writing a whole book about it hasn't been cathartic enough to to free myself from it (laughs) yeah absolutely right and I think there is this really big thing around this idea that we might scare women who are pregnant if they knew the reality of what was about to hit them then they wouldn't want to have children which is of course absurd because lots of people have more than one child knowing exactly what it's like um so I think like you say it's so important just to actually give women the information about what it will actually be like so Mm -hmm. that they can prepare themselves and you had your eldest 10 years ago Mm -hmm. do you think attitudes have changed since then what are you hearing in your community I think so I think there's definitely more honesty around motherhood I don't think there's necessarily less judgment I think there's still a lot of well if I can do it so can you and a lot of judgment 
around things like sleep particularly and sort of sleep training you know if you sleep train this way then you're a bad parent and you know there's still an awful lot of judgment um so yes I think things definitely are changing but there's still divisions within the motherhood community and then also the society at large as well you know there's you know the old argument of if you can't afford to have kids then you shouldn't have them you know don't go back to work and then the other camp complains when people do go back to work there's all of that and I think we're a long way a long way from solving all of that there's a lot of infighting isn't there like you say between different camps of parenting and mothering and I thought about this now because there's also a lot of similar debates that go on around breastfeeding versus other mm-hmm. types of feeding and I just think sometimes we're all we're all fighting we're fighting each other or arguing with each other or judging each other and and we're arguing with the wrong people really aren't we we should be looking at wider society and just saying why are you making this so hard for us for all of us and not allowing us to just make the choices we want to make without judgment exactly that's my own personal rant about that <laughs> <laughs> you've been really honest about struggling with your mental health after the birth of both your children and you said that you had anxiety but how did that anxiety manifest itself what was it like for you on a daily basis how did you feel I think just generally feeling overwhelmed a lot of the time I think it's the loss of control aspect to it like not being able to completely predict like when will the baby nap like how will the day plan out I remember every afternoon you know, if she woke up from her nap at three o'clock, I'd breathe like a sigh of relief. It's like, okay, we can get to the end of the day from here. And the rest of the day would then be really lovely because there was nothing else like to factor in. Like it was all, you know, there's dinner, bath, bed. That's all we have to do now. No more sleeps, no more like juggling things and puzzle pieces to fit around. Um, So that was probably the main thing. And then my GP at my first six week check very helpfully called it um, overly emotional. He said, I I don't think you're depressed. I think you're just overly emotional, which (laughs) was really helpful. But there was definitely an element to that. So you're just getting overwhelmed and being very tearful. But yeah, just wanting to control things. And it's just not possible. And yeah, just that sort of butting up against each other not a good combination (laughs) yeah but it's so difficult and when you do go and see a health professional and sort of say you're experiencing these emotions and then get labeled as overly emotional which is just such an awful thing to say because it's not only not acknowledging how you're feeling yeah but also basically labeling you as like someone that just there's something wrong with you that like not the thing that can be fixed it's like he's basically saying you've got a personality problem which is just horrendous I'm so sorry yeah it was not nice I complained about him it's okay he no longer does the six weeks (laughs) (laughs) but it is shocking that there are GPs or any sort of medical professionals out there that would have that impression that you know a mom can come in with a six-week-old baby struggling to cope and be described as being too emotional rather than not well enough supported which is a much more accurate description I would argue exactly that so was it mainly your mental health that you struggled with as a new parent or were there any aspects of your sort of physical health or recovery after birth that were also challenging yeah, there was a little bit of that. Um, it might be a bit TMI. Nothing is too TMI on this podcast. <laughs> I get the feeling that's okay. <laughs> so it was definitely mainly the mental health, but I do distinctly remember after my first birth, it was in um, a forceps and episiotomy delivery, like sitting on the edge of the bed, trying to breastfeed, 
like not knowing how to sit and being in so much pain thinking how am I meant to like heal from this Mm. when I'm not sleeping and I'm not you know this baby is literally sucking the lifeblood out of me (laughs) how do I recover from this and it just felt impossible yet I knew how lucky I was that you know breastfeeding came easily none of that was painful for me which was just I'm so thankful for that but just the general recovery I think took much longer than I had expected it was definitely a good couple of months in before I thought oh okay this like somewhat feels now like myself again and just in terms of sort of physical hangovers from from delivery there's only really a few little um, memories that have been left behind. Um, I got quite bad hemorrhoids before I gave birth and everyone said they'll go away once you've had the baby and they did not. Um, and that's one of the other things, you know, so you go to the GP afterwards and you go, oh, this hasn't gone away. And she just kind of went, oh, I think you, it feels worse to you than it actually is. That's fine. It's like, oh, but it, oh, but it makes me feel horrible. Like every single day. Is it, is it really fine? And she, yeah, no, it's not that bad. Oh, okay. <laughs> And it's just one, you know, it's just a small thing, but you just feel a bit like, oh, so yeah, I just live with this now. Okay. All right. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. You shouldn't have to live with it. And these things are relatively easily treated as well. I think so. Uh, that's disappointing. And I think what you say about those early weeks of being in pain and recovering and however you feed, I think feeding a baby is incredibly draining because you're either breastfeeding or you've got to get up in the night and make bottles. And both of those things are very exhausting and yeah there's almost no time at all to focus on yourself is there and and let Mm -hmm. your body recover and again you mentioned it taking much longer than you expected I mean were you given any information did you know anything about recovery before you had a baby no not really I mean again the antenatal class has painted a bit of a picture in terms of how long you might bleed for and what to look out for you know you sort of knew that to look out for like clots passing if they're a certain size to like contact the midwife and um, sort of I knew specifics but not really no so much focus around feeding and like latching and the actual birth that whatever came after sort of was really not mentioned and I think that's the same for the vast majority of women, to be honest. And and kind of to a certain degree, I totally understand that birth, you know, needs to be a focus. Um, and that, to be perfectly honest, is when you're pregnant is all you're worried about. Yeah. And nobody really thinks what happens next. But it's kind of bizarre, isn't it? Because what happens next is the rest of your life. And if Absolutely. You live yeah. the rest of your life without knowing information about how you can heal and how you can recover and that you don't necessarily have to live with these things. It's a real shame. And the six week check would be such a fantastic opportunity to do all that, you know, for them to you know, check your abdominals and say, well, this is where you're at. This is what to look out for now or pelvic floor wise. Like, how are you doing? And this is what you can do now. And like give people like steps, you know, it would take like an extra two minutes to give people a few pointers, give them a pamphlet or something like I don't know if people do that now, but I got nothing like literally nothing. Disappointing. Oh, very. <laughs> Yeah, I sometimes feel like I'm too ranty about postnatal healthcare, but I like that <laughs> 10 years later you still be equally enraged about the lack of support that you receive. Oh, yes. So on a positive note, you have created this brilliant community in Raise Up Mums, and you've also got um, various tools that some on your website, some of which are paid for and a lot of which you give out for free. 
for mums who just simply don't have the time, like you say, to do those things that were so often recommended, like take a break or meditate or go for a long walk and all of these things. Are there any of the tools that you can share with us? Are there any sort of top tips that you have for mums listening now? Yeah, sure. I'll share a couple of top tips. So that the first one I'm going to share became my favourite anxiety busting tool, really, whenever I felt really overwhelmed or really anxious to get myself out of my head and back into the moment and into my body. I would simply focus on three things I could see, three things I could hear, and three things I could feel. And I think if you look up the actual definition of this exercise, it's a different number for each thing. But I found that too much as well. It's like seven of something, five of something, three of something. That's too much. Like just do three of each. (laughs) Keep it really simple. (laughs) So it's like a mindfulness exercise. Yeah, exactly. So just to, you know, tune into your other senses rather than letting your brain take control. And I find that really helpful in just grounding myself and like taking a breath and actually looking at what's in front of me and something that was really useful as a little um, sort of motto that I'd repeat to myself like what does this moment require of me you know if baby's just done like a massive poo when you're on your way out the door there's no use in getting flustered and like oh we're going to be late for this now late for that now and when you rush we all know that you don't act very well you know you drop things and you mess things up and it all gets even worse so to just you know look at what's in front of you deal with that thing first and then move on and deal with the next thing after that um so I found that very very helpful and the other tool that I'd like to share is something called a self-compassion break and um, so that is something that I wish I'd had in my toolkit years ago and something that I've learned in the last couple of years is much more to do with mindful self-compassion So it has three components, but you can do it really, really quick in the moment. And the first thing you do is simply acknowledging what's going on. So you're acknowledging your situation and whatever's going on. And you can say to yourself, this is really hard. Actually, this is really stressful. This hurts. This is really not nice. I'm not enjoying this at all. Just acknowledging it without sort of spiraling out of control, you know, not over identifying with it, just noticing it. And then you're going to realize that lots of other people probably at this exact moment are going through something very similar, that you're never alone. There's common humanity. We all share stresses in our life. We all share things that we've got going on. So you're never by yourself. Everyone struggles. This is simply what it feels like to have a hard time. And then you're going to show yourself some self-kindness. You can put your hand on your heart or some sort of gesture that feels soothing to you and just take in that self-kindness that you're giving yourself and give yourself a bit of a pep talk, however that feels good to you. So you can be more spiritual about it. You can say things like, may I be strong? May I feel peace? May I be patient? Or you can give yourself a nickname or just, you know, talk in the third person like, Silky, you've got this, we can do this. You know, just pep talking yourself rather than, you know, telling yourself off that you're not doing a a good enough job. Um, And that works really, really well just to take the, the edge off, noticing what's going on, noticing you're not by yourself, and giving yourself a bit of kindness. That's brilliant. I'm going to try that. That's a fantastic tip. Thank you. (laughs) So finally, I wanted to ask you if there was one thing you could change about the world we live in, which would help new mothers, what would it be? Okay. I thought about this and I've come up with like 15 different things, but I (laughs) (laughs) I think I'm going to stick to honesty and less judgment and just, yeah, being more honest within motherhood circles and less judgment from within circles and from the society at large and more support (laughs) and better funded childcare. (laughs) 
one slash four things there but yes oh yes all very valid and actually you know I'll, I'll let you cheat on this one because I think actually if we were more honest and less judgmental about what motherhood involved in the modern world there would be more support and better funded childcare. so yeah you can have that that's your one thing it's <laughs> true thank you <laughs> thank you so much Silke, for coming on today it's been a pleasure talking to you thank you so much I loved it you can hear more from Silka and see all of her resources and tools at the raise up mums website it's raiseupmums.co.uk From the website, you can also order a copy of her book, The Mother Loving Guide, but I've also put a direct link to the book in the show notes. You can join the free Raise Up Mums community on Facebook. Just search for Raise Up Mums community. And Silka is also on Instagram at Raise Up Mums. As always, please do not take anything that's been said in this episode as a substitute for proper medical advice. If you have any concerns about your health, particularly your mental health or any feelings of anxiety, then please do contact your GP or local counselling service. I've also put a few links in the show notes to some other organisations and resources around perinatal anxiety that you might find helpful. Thank you so much for listening today. Please do like us, follow us, subscribe, wherever you get your podcasts. It helps please the algorithm gods and means more people will get to see and hear what we've got to say about postnatal health. If you enjoyed the podcast and you want to leave us a review, even better. Don't forget, you can also follow Mother Bodies on Twitter and Instagram at Mother Bodies, where you can get highlights from each episode and some sneak previews of what's coming up. Thanks again and see you next time.